0: Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Scran, a podcast passionate about Scottish food and drink. This week is all about craft beer and I'm going to be speaking to Martin Dickey who is one of the founders and owners of Brewdog up in Ellen. But first of all we've got Sean Murphy who is the Scotsman food and drink editor on the phone from Glasgow and I'm going to speak to him about his opinions on the craft beer scene in Scotland. Hi Sean. How's it going? Fine, how are you? I'm very good. So as I've just mentioned, uh, we've got a special guest on this week, Martin from BrewDog. But in your opinion, what is it that has prompted the change in beer drinking in Scotland in terms of, I think there was one point everyone was just drinking like pints of lager and maybe ale and things, and then all of a sudden there's all these craft breweries and different flavours. What do you think, in your opinion, caused the rise in that? Do you think BrewDog played a big part or was it other influences?
1: Yeah, they they definitely played a major part. I think if you go back to probably around about the 80s, you had mostly people drinking really light lagers, that kind of light style. Tasteless, (laughs) bland is probably some of the names that people would give to them, but... What actually probably prompted it mostly was camera Around deities campaign for Real Ale. They did a big push to bring back, you know, different beer types and, and try to create like less homogenized beers. And by doing that, they inspired uh, a new wave of craft brewers, probably in the US and North America when it really, really kicked off. So as these things do, they're very circular. And what happens is one thing becomes popular in America, inevitably becomes popular in the UK. So when it reached our... Came back to our shows, basically Brewdog we were one of the first sort of, to join that kind of pioneering wave of new craft beer, British craft beer brands. They've actually probably done one of the bigger, the biggest parts because what they've done is they're bringing it to the mainstream by putting the, their name in the media, you know, making it cool again to drink these. IPAs and different uh, styles of really stronger craft beers, which normally may have been viewed as too out there for traditional beer drinkers. This then led on to a sort of secondary wave of smaller Scottish craft beers sort of joining in, creating their own, you know, beers that really captured maybe where they're from or, you know, offered something a wee bit different. For example, Williams Brothers, which a really interesting brand, you know, they went on to create Brook, which is their sort of uh which is based on a recipe that would have been used in Scotland, you know, thousands of years ago. So there was loads of interesting riffs on what was happening and I think it really just captured the public's imagination and that coupled with the idea that people really wanted to maybe move away from, you know, these mass-produced, products, you know, they want to seek out interesting and smaller craft, obviously being there, operative there are their um, brands that they can really invest in. You really get brand loyalty as well, you know, you get people who, you know, follow brewers and become really interested in what they're doing and it becomes almost an experience, you know, if you can, you can go to these places and really You know, join in with the brand, and it's it's just a bit different from what you would have traditionally had with the Budweisers and the Millers of this world. So, I think it was it's something that as it's moved forward, more and more smaller brewers have joined in, and it's really created a wave of just great beer over the past decade or so.
0: And it's definitely been an experience with them because I was up there and they've got their kennel hotel rooms there and you can go to the brewery and have a beer and yeah, I feel like they've definitely cashed in on that. But it's, And they're, the people who are loyal to them seem very loyal, especially with their equity for punks.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they're a great example of a brand, not just being consummate brewers but obviously being consummate businessmen as well you know being able to just the two of them take that small Aberdeenshire based brand and really make it a global you know giant to have breweries in different continents around the world it's really really impressive and i think they're one of the ones that are really what they call themselves like disruptors and, and by doing things like creating beer hotels and branching into hospitality and things like that they're really doing things differently which i think is probably benefiting them because they, they seem to be some of the first to, to get these things in i know that recently they even launched a bar in london it was you know the first non-alcoholic bar in the city which was you know this pop-up that they had only non-alcoholic beer or, or low-alcohol beers are offered behind the bar and I think they, they've really got a finger on the pulse in terms of trends and what people are interested in and, and it really shows when you see like you just mentioned the uh, beer hotels they've got now and the dog houses in Aberdeenshire and, uh, these hotels they've got around the world as well
0: what do you think is next for the craft beer scene because you've mentioned like the no-alcohol bar do you think that's the way that it's going that people will be drinking less alcohol and less beer
1: I think for a while, I mean, although traditionally craft beer, you know, you do still get your 5%, 6%, pushing you know, on to your 8 and 9% beers, which are always going to be popular. But I think what's happening now recently is there's a lot more session beers coming through where there's low alcohol beers being created that are down about the 2%, 3% mark. Uh, and what that just means is that people aren't keen to, you know, drink too much or they don't want to go out to get drunk, they just want to drink socially. It really can appeal to them and it can also appeal to, you know, health conscious people who maybe don't want to drink any alcohol, you know, they might want to drink alcohol-free beer. So you can see that coming through that a lot of these brands are bringing through sort of healthier options or lighter options or, you know, lower alcohol options. A particular example that might be, you know, hard seltzers, which are doing really well in America just now. It's like carbonated water with alcohol and the sort of calorie content in them is so low, you know, it's, it's deliberately created to make them appealing to people who want to drink lighter style drinks. And, and craft breweries can obviously do that as well, but I think we, you might see a bit more of a plateau, whereas before there was a race to open as many breweries as possible. It seems that a lot of them now are beginning to just establish themselves and are content to to sort of grow at that level, while a few others are maybe going to be bought up by some of the beer companies around the world, basically, to, as they try to capitalise on that market. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. There's deal there's the, the definitely changes of foot.
0: And on the hard seltzer, we've both tried it and I now know where you can get it in Glasgow, so.
1: Oh, yeah, I was very impressed when you gave me that knowledge, so I need to go and try it. Where, where was it you said again?
0: The Amsterdam and Merchant City have it on draft if anyone wants to go and try it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's well worth it. It's a very, very interesting drink.
0: Yeah, no, it is. Uh, it's good. Anyway, thank you very much, Sean, for speaking to me.
1: No problem, and I'll speak to you soon.
0: Yep, speak to you later. Catch you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This week, I'm going to be chatting to Martin Dickey, who is one of the co-founders of Brewdog, who are based up in Ellen in Aberdeenshire. I'm really interested to find out from Martin how he grew the company, which started off 13 years ago with him and his business partner, James, and a dog brewing a small amount of beer on an industrial estate. It's grown to become a worldwide company that sells beer all over the globe. They have a, a shareholder scheme known as Equity for Punks, so you can get involved in the business. I think it's a very interesting business model, and I'm really keen to hear his thoughts on the business and uh, what is next for the company. Hello, Martin. Hi. As I've mentioned earlier, we're here today in Ellen at the home of Brewdog uh, and just on a quick distillery tour, which was uh, really interesting. But I would just like to ask you, um, for anyone that doesn't know the Brewdog story already, how did it start and why is it called Brewdog?
2: Okay, so the company started in 2007, actually probably just the back end of 2006. And at that time, I was working down in, in England at a brewery down there. And James, who I started the company with, was a deep sea fisherman at that point out of uh, Fraserburgh, where we, where we lived.
0: It's quite a different different direction than he was going in. Yeah, for
2: sure. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, going back to the, the start, when James and myself met in, in Peterhead Academy, um, we were, I don't know, S2, S3 kind of age. Mm-hmm. Um, we were both in Edinburgh at the same time during college uh, and during that time we uh, went out to the pubs and the Whiskey Society and uh, things. I, w- I was studying, brewing and distilling at, at university mm-hmm. uh, so we were able to see quite a lot of interesting whiskies through some of the stuff that we were doing with university so quite often we'll go out and and taste all these things and uh, so during that time that we were were able to to try some exciting beers out of America at that point as well from um, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale would have been the beer uh, back then which when you tried that against what was available in Edinburgh at the time with um, Caledonian 80 or uh, Dukers IPA Belhaven Best uh, it was a a total revelation I think in terms of uh, flavour um, so we, uh, I guess we went our separate ways for a while after, after university I, I went to, to study down in England uh, or start a job down in England and uh, during that time when, when James was uh, fishing, he would come down and visit and would and see the, the beers that we were uh, messing around with in, in England. and. We thought it would be quite cool to to start a brewery up in Scotland uh, with the idea being that we would make the beers that we want to drink ourselves Um, and that meant primarily focused on American style uh, beers that were coming out and American style not being a Budweiser but American style being the the kind of exciting craft beer scene that was happening out in San Diego uh, specifically in, in California.
0: And why do you think at that time that other breweries in Scotland hadn't gone down that route? Was it just they were big and doing their own thing and didn't really need to, or was it like was there a shift in the market? Do you think, or because it was happening in America, could you see that this could work here? Was it quite an important influence that American scene?
2: Yeah, I think it's a it's a, a great question. You know, I think where what Britain has is it was a was a, a really decent uh, history of, of brewing beer, so that you know there were a lot of established regional breweries and and uh, you know a few national breweries but i think what had happened just you know a few years previous was the, the camera movement where you know during that was that 70s a, a big sort of resurgence or, or push towards um, breweries small breweries starting and trying to you know uncover some of those um exciting regional beers that had maybe been lost over the years as consolidation of the market happened Mm -hmm. Um, so that was an interesting thing that had happened recently in in the uk that that hadn't happened in america so i guess the, the american interpretation or version of what had happened in the uk with camera was the the craft beer scene so a lot of the early craft craft brewers in america had taken inspiration out of out of brewing tradition in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with the the materials that they had at hand, uh, namely some of the hops coming out of, of Washington state, they were then using, you know, these sort of punchy, powerful flavors uh, from the hops in, you know, a more traditional British pale ale, which then kind of born, uh, you know, gave rise to the, the American pale ales, which then went on to be American IPAs and kind of the flavor intensity, just. Kept, uh, kept increasing with those uh, early craft years. So so we were, um, I guess, excited by by that. Uh, I think the industry over the last sort of 20 years had grown to be the kind of micro-brew scene, where mm-hmm. there were you know, a few hundred at that time when we started our brewery, micro-breweries around, uh, around the UK. And
0: uh, why is a brew dog? Which seems like a daft question,
2: yeah, since no, I've seen all the dogs here. Yeah, there's <laughs> lots of dogs here. Um, I mean Brewdog came about from from really not really knowing what to call the the brewery so we had a few names that we had picked out um, this would have been 2006 uh, sitting on the floor in James dad's house uh, just outside Fraserburgh and to be honest they were all along the lines of what what had been done before. not the Highland Brewing Company, but you know, not too far away from that old Lighthouse Brewery, Fraserburgh Brewery. And, and all these things were, I guess, very cliched and, and had been done before. And there was two things, I think, that were important for us. One, that we wanted our uh, brewery name or brand to be something that wasn't place specific. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted something that was sort of contemporary or exciting. And, and just by chance, uh, James's dad had a, a, I think at that point probably three, four month old puppy mm-hmm. that was jumping all over our, uh, obviously not that great names, uh, that, were, <laughs> that were on the floor. And we're like, well, puppy's cool, you know, doesn't really work that well, but dog, dog and beer, beer dog, brew dog, so it eventually came out of, of an interpretation of this uh, three, three month old chocolate lab puppy mm-hmm. bounding all over our notes.
0: Which is in the he's in the pictures that we see on the tour, isn't he? In
2: yes, area. and a lot of the original pictures, unfortunately. He hasn't been around for a few years now.
0: So we're we're here in Ellen, which is an Aberdeenshire. How important has it been to you guys to keep the business in the north east? Because I imagine you probably could have gone anywhere, but you've kept here and we've gone from Fraserburgh to Ellen, Yeah. was that a very conscious decision or?
2: Yeah, a couple of things. I mean both James and myself live Uh, you know, within five miles of of the brewery. So we're from this area, we enjoy living in this area, so it makes a lot of sense for our our headquarters to be here. At the same time, as as we grow as a business, beer quality is really important to us. And as we export to different countries, uh, we've also started a few other breweries in different countries to allow us to produce super fresh beer in those countries to cater for those markets and, and also it helps to reduce our, our carbon footprint where we're not having to ship you know, ingredients from all over the world to, to Scotland to then ship it back across the whole world so our home is definitely in Ellen but uh, but our business has uh, multiple small homes now as well.
0: As we you said you've gone from two guys and the dog <laughs> Broombeard to a world famous company How does that feel and what were the main challenges over the years?
2: It feels good. Um, (laughs) I think, I I don't know, maybe growing up in this area, you don't really spend too much time uh, looking backwards. It's all about us. For us, you know, we've got a a very limited time on earth to try and do something that's exciting, that you enjoy doing, and something that hopefully can make an impact in other people's lives as well. Um, so we have a, a great team now that's kind of really dedicated on, on on pushing forward and trying to make as other people as passionate about great beer as we are.
0: You know, it must it must be amazing because it's been not it doesn't feel like it's been that long and it's just gone and you're still going now. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. I guess it, in some respects it feels like it's gone gone really fast and other you know in other aspects when you think back to to, you know, when we were making beer back in Fraserburgh does seem like a, an awful long time ago so. as <laughs> well.
0: What was the first beer you ever brewed?
2: As brew dog or just ever?
0: Ever, did you do anything like weird when you were at uni or?
2: Yes, so I guess the first time I ever brewed, I would have been, I think about 12, when I was up in, in my uh, parents' house in the, in the attic and found one of the home brew, kits you know it would have been boots i think at that time were, we're doing the homebrew kits so it was the, the big plastic uh, fermentation vessel and then the, the little tin of pre pre-hopped uh, kettle extract so all, all you did was take the, the top off the syrup pour it into the pan dilute it boil it and then cool it down and add a little packet of yeast so that that was my first uh, brewing experience which was kind of cool. It was at that time, it started getting me thinking about how, I guess, the chemistry and science involved with, with beer making, although it's a very simple process, where you're just, you know, in, in general, it's still a very simple process. But when you actually think about it, you can, you can, you know, look under a microscope and you see the little yeast cells in there. So it's, it's an incredibly complicated process at the same time as being super simple. So. I think it was that kind of uh, understanding about what it what actually meant to brew beer was probably one of the triggers that made me want to understand it more and uh, study it at college.
0: And was it nice, the first one? No. It's...
2: no. <laughs> <I know. laughs> there was like quite, quite a few from, uh, I don't know, the age of 12 through till, till uh, sort of 15, 16. Uh, there were m- multiple batches that were all... All pretty bad. Um, it was after probably after a couple of years we found a homebrew shop in Edinburgh that would sell the unhopped extract, and then you could buy the individual hop varieties to put in there. But you know, even then it was still maybe a handful of English varieties, so that weren't incredible. And then at the same time as that it was understanding that you know the more sugar that went into the either the the unfermented uh, wort before you start fermentation. Or afterwards, when you're like priming the bottle to reforming the bottle, all these things meant more alcohol in the finished product. So that was, you know, it's like putting petrol on a fire for a, 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 a young guy, at uh, fourteen years old. is like, well, I'll try and make it a little bit stronger, and then I remember there like, you know, multiple batches that were bottled in, in my mum's uh, airing cupboard that, you know, obviously exploded with uh, too much pressure build up in the bottles. So, it was a whole a whole heap of learning quite early on, to be honest.
0: <laughs> so you are probably popular with your friends for making strong beer, but not with your mum for yeah, flooding exactly. our
2: yeah.
0: Going back to the start, Blue Dog, who or what was your first stockist, and how did that come about?
2: Our, our very first uh, stockists were were a couple of you know local bars, the Fraserburgh, Peterhead, and Aberdeen. You know they were people that were really keen to see a, a, a new local business, a local brewery. And, and although the beer for them was something totally different to what they'd seen before, they were willing to give you know, two young guys a chance to, to see what if their beer could, could uh, be good enough to sell in the bar. So it was pretty awesome. And At the same time, there was with a few, not the many, mm-hmm. uh, so it was really hard to get those uh, early sales in. And also at that time, we had this incredible plan of, uh, of instead of having a case of 24 bottles, we had a case of 48 bottles. So if someone asked for a case of beer, we'd actually be selling twice the amount of beer. So we thought that's a, an awesome idea <laughs> to sell beer by, by the case and slightly trick people into buying more than they thought. <laughs> but again, that was a bit of a disaster because all the boxes would kind of uh, fold under the, under their own weight and, and end up with a lot of broken beer.
0: So they were getting double, but some were smashing. <laughs> a little bit,
2: yeah. <laughs> so it would quite quickly change back to a standard case of 24.
0: <laughs> What's been your favourite creation so far for Blue Dog?
2: I mean, we've done so many beers that are, are memorable. For me, our, a handful would be our, our first batch of Punk IPA, because yeah, you know it's still today about 55% of all the beer that we sell. So it's always really special. Jack Hammer, our... West Coast IPA that we made that been a few years ago now uh, we still take that back uh, every year for one or two one or two brews that was like a big influence from from like some of the West Coast big IPAs that we that we absolutely loved uh, more recently I mean Hazy Jane which is the beer that's in our glass here is a, a New England style IPA uh, which is it's it's taken I guess something like that jackhammer type beer but it's it's removing all the all the bitterness from it, and adding even more to the aroma um, and the fruit flavour in there, so it's, it comes out with, you know, a lot of tropical and, and orange fruit in there, um, and not too bitterness, which makes it nice and smooth and easy to drink. Um, so that's awesome. And then now I think you know, in the last uh, last six months we've been working really hard in our alcohol free range, mm-hmm. which you know we now have four products in that in that area with, with Punk AF. Nanny State, which we've been making since 2012, I think, a long time. Hazy AF, which is our, our Hazy IPA uh, version, non-alcoholic. And Wake Up Call, which is a, a coffee stout at, at uh, 0.5 alcohol as well. So it's got mm. the capping hit, the caffeine hit of, of a double espresso in a in a nice coffee stout. So they're kind of fun. Nice.
0: And you just opened an alcohol free bar in London,
2: haven't you? Mm. Yep. So it's, it's really close to our office down in London on uh, Old Street, Uh, so it's our first alcohol-free bar and doing awesomely well.
0: And do you think that's something you'll eventually bring up here?
2: I mean, I'm not sure a standalone alcohol-free bar is something that can travel outside of big cities Mm -hmm. immediately, but I think, you know, as times change then, you know, I think in general people are drinking less alcohol, so they're either trading up in the (laughs) alcohol that they do consume and looking for way more about flavour, which, you know, is, is basically the whole point of us and our company is that we want people to enjoy incredible flavoured beer. And what goes hand in hand with that is the consumption of total alcohol goes down because people are, you know, they're not drinking 10 pints anymore. It's, you know, they'll maybe have four or five classes, which is great. So I think, you know, what, what, what we've based ourselves on in terms of what we're trying to achieve as a company is, is generally push alcohol consumption uh, lower but as mm-hmm. people enjoying that experience with alcohol better
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and more sustainably as well uh, and, and the alcohol free part of our range is, is that kind of logical conclusion to what, what we're trying to do. Yes. So
0: part of the tour we've seen pictures of throughout the years of different things that have happened in bars that have opened and one of them is you guys sitting in a tank mm. in London. Do you have a favourite attention grabbing uh, or marketing moment so far for Blue Dog? Was it the tank? The, t- the tank was <laughs>
2: pretty cool. It's not, not too often that there's tanks rolling down, um, down the streets in Clapham. So that was pretty awesome. What else have done? It's memorable. I mean, the tactical nuclear penguin uh, video was always one of the most fun things we 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 filmed, so that was the process of making, at that point, the the strongest beer in the world at 32% alcohol, and that was using a local ice cream factory at Mackey's, which is not too far from from here, and being dressed as a a penguin and and, uh, having a bit of fun at the same time as doing something completely new that no one had done before, and making that 32% beer. Although it was really cold because we were in the the deep freeze of an ice cream factory, it was about minus 25 degrees Celsius.
0: (laughs) And, you know, as the company's grown, how do you maintain the passion for your original message, which was disruption and being punk? Do you think that you do maintain that or, you know, is it something that's basically, are you guys still punk?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think we still have exactly the same passion that we had when, when we started the company. I mean, for us, it's all about the flavour of, of 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 the beers that we're making, which means you know, focus all the time is on making our beers better. Mm-hmm. And, and what we've been able to achieve as the company's grown is to just broaden that uh, reach of people that are able to try our beer, which is which is what we always do for. You know, in terms of, of of punk, you know what, what we like to think of is you know, when we started out at 23, 24 years old, we were obviously a lot more maybe ag- aggressive in our personalities at that point, being a, a lot younger. I think as we've, we've grown, you know, we've definitely changed. Uh, we've both got uh, young families now and uh, have a lot of personal responsibilities where we didn't have any of that before. But I think as a, as a company where we're now almost 13 years old, a lot of times we feel that we're really still just getting started. Um, so we'll have breweries in four countries um, this year and be able to, to brew and, and sell beer in those countries. It's, it's really exciting when you, when you just look at the actual numbers of people that, that are, are drinking our beer and it's such a tiny percentage. And, and I think it's always very easy to get caught up in your own little bubble and think, you know, everyone knows who Brewdog is. You know, it's, it's actually, obviously, the, the opposite of that, where there's so many people who have never heard of BrewDog, so, you know, we, I guess, sound repetitive to ourselves, saying the same things over and over again, but it, it's incredible when you, you get correspondence from people who, you know, someone in, whatever, Peru, perhaps, had seen a news article of something that we've done, and then they, they're in uh, America or the UK, and they're able to try one of our beers, and they the feel obliged to, you know, Send us uh, a letter or an email saying you know, thanks for for what you've done. It's uh, incredible that, that you know you can change people's lives a little bit with, with beer.
0: Mm. And one of the ways that you've grown is equity for punks. And I can see like from posters around here and online and things that you can join again. You can sort of buy shares again. Mm. So how did that come about? And what people? What can people expect when they join? Yes
2: yeah, so equity for punks was actually when james was still fishing at that point so it would have been maybe year two into the business uh, and he would be he'd be in the fishing boat for about three months of the year and i remember he was landing fish in norway or somewhere it was either shetland or norway and he phoned me saying he's had this uh yeah because i think we were, as usual at the early stage we were, we were pretty short on uh, cash to manage month to month so i've got this uh, idea that you know we need to raise money in our, in our company but but why don't we try and um, allow people to invest invest online in our business for you know small small share uh cost but getting benefits of, of being able to, to hang out in our bar which at that time we had one bar maybe the second bar was almost open One or two bars. I mean, one one thing we've always said that being able to shorten the distance between you know ourselves and the end customer is is always great in terms of that relationship and being able to to let people know what you're talking about and the message and the beers that we're doing. Um, So we were able to get set up where we could open a a fundraise uh, in that way, and you know went really well. And now we're on very close to 130,000. It's 129,500 or something at the moment individual shareholders mm-hmm. so you know over the the time that we've done that with for punk race we've raised almost 75 million pounds and we've got one hundred and thirty thousand people in our shareholder community which is you know it's 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 so good for us as a company to have these uh, people who are um, ambassadors who are you know our biggest critics and allow us to you know stay true to what we believe in and, and you know, keep our Feet on our ground but also have allowed us to do incredible things so without all that investment we wouldn't be sitting in the in the brewery that we have here in ellen we wouldn't have a brewery and hotel in, in america we wouldn't have just finished building a brewery in Brisbane. so um, all this is possible pretty much purely because of those uh, people that, that invested in nice
0: and do you still participate in the brewing of the beer
2: yeah i mean Obviously, in the, the, the day-to-day stuff, not so much anymore. But uh, you we know, were heavily involved in, in all the new product development and, and uh, recipe development to make sure that you know beers are tasting better and better. We have a, a daily taste panel at uh, ten o'clock as well, which is always quite fun. Yeah. Ten o'clock beer. Yep.
0: <laughs> uh, and you mentioned that you went to uni in Edinburgh, and it was the um, brewing qualification at Heriot Watt. Mm-hmm this might seem like a daft question, but how important was that and what advice would you give someone who's starting out now?
2: That's a good question. Um I think with you know when I studied whatever that was two thousand to two thousand four, um, I mean the program back then was, was very much focused on on large scale brewing. So I think you get a very sound understanding of of brewing science, which you know, which was which was great. Um i would say the one thing it wasn't geared towards at that time was was something like the craft beer industry because you know, it didn't really exist in in the uk and um wasn't they weren't really catering for people coming out from america um who were working in craft breweries so from the i guess from the business standpoint and the actual um small scale brewing i th- i think the the input was limited, but in terms of brewing science, I think a lot of that stuff was uh, invaluable for sure. Uh, I think the one thing it teaches you very clear, which is one of the most important things in, in brewing, is just the hygiene piece of, of running a brewery. It's making sure that your facility is, is 100% uh, clean, and then that means that your beer uh, may not taste good because it hasn't been put together well, but it definitely won't be tasting bad through infection. So it's kind of half the battle. Mm,
0: because the yeast can get a bit mental. Yeah,
2: and you know, I, I, I'm not sure where where the school is uh, is today, but I'm going down there actually uh, next month to, to have a catch up with some of the professors and just to see where uh, how things are. Nice, That's
0: good. The Brewdog Distilling Company is a fairly recent development. Why did you decide to move into Spirits?
2: Personally, that was the reason that I went to university in the first place, was to study distilling rather than brewing. Um, It was just during my time at university that I thought the brewing side was more fun, I think. So we we, we kind of always had the ambition that at one point we we would have a small distillery. So we were we're pretty lucky to be able to put that together. Um, I think the plans for that started in 2012, uh, 2013 maybe, and then in terms of the actual working with whiskey, we've kind of done that from day one using whiskey barrels in our production of beer, and also you know, we, we messed around a little bit with some whiskey back in 2009 as well.
0: And um. You've just opened the Brewdog Kennels in Aberdeen and there's the hotel in America. What prompted the move into hotels and hospitality? Hmm.
2: Uh, it came a little bit from, so having a, a bar in general was, was one of something that was really important to us. So it was 2009 that we opened our first bar in, in Aberdeen. And the reason for the bar was to have a place that we could have the in our opinion the perfect pre-dog experience so it's having our our lineup of beers that are served perfectly with without our our beer and some of our favorite beers Um, and then the big thing there is the the staff and how they um, know about beer how they actually are there to to serve you but are there and want to serve you as opposed to a lot of bars that you go to where you get service eventually and by by someone that really doesn't care whether you're there or not or whether you're served well or not so for us it's a a huge thing was having our our bar side and then over time and with the opportunity in in America because the American brewery is on a 42 acre site with a 10,000 square meter brewery it was the the perfect site to put a hotel on site to really start to make a, a sort of craft beer campus or craft beer destination. Mm -hmm. So what we did in in America was we built the the hotel, sort of L-shape, and inside that that L-shape is is our sour brewery in the States. So it's like the overworks that we have here is our our sour brewery here. We we built that inside the brewery in America. Um, So when you wake up in the morning and open your curtains, you're looking out into the brewery, which is pretty awesome. Not, not so awesome if you're the person uh, working in the bed. Yeah. <laughs> There's least people watching you. There might have, uh, might have um, times that they look up to to see someone who's just out of their bed and uh, <laughs> going a bit commando. Uh, <laughs> it happens quite regularly. Oh, <laughs> well,
0: that's mental. So people just know that they're looking out, but they're not that bothered with the fact they're mm, naked. <laughs>
2: Maybe we've had a few beers before, yeah, so yeah. fine. <laughs> and then, you know, being able to, to have the, the rooms in, in Aberdeen now, just above the Castlegate bars is, is great. It's it's definitely not the experience of, of uh, the brewery in America, but hopefully it's something that's that's not too far away. So it's got, you know, all the same things of a really you know, smart hotel room and then uh, awesome beer fridge, shower beers. So it's the kind of key things that, that make the doghouse awesome in america we've done here and then hopefully next year we'll uh, be in a place to announce how uh, proper uk uh, doghouse will happen
0: Thanks. look out for that then uh, so one of the sections we've got two sections in the podcast and um, one of them is desert island drinks or jams which is i don't know do you drink whiskey
2: uh, yeah, yeah. Will be doing it just in whiskey or is it, uh, it can
0: be either. Um, most people pick drinks, but we can do drinks and jams. If you could only take three drinks to onto a desert island, what would they be and why?
2: So, uh, hedonism, whisky from Compass Box, uh, which is one of my favourite whiskies of all time. Mm-hmm. I would take Cantillon Rooster which is. Uh, Sour Brewery from Belgium, which was one of the, the two beers that got us excited in, in brewing in the first place. Mm-hmm. And Lastly, I would probably take our hazy AF beer so that because uh, I'm not sure you can survive purely on whiskey and, <laughs> uh, and and 6% beer, so I'd probably take the AF beer to make sure that I could stay hydrated and survive mm-hmm. more than the uh,
0: Okay, and the next section is um, it's my life and food, so it's a quick fire question round. We'll ask you some questions about food and drink, and if you just answer as quickly as you can, that'd be great. You ready? Yeah. What food brings back childhood memories? Mandarins. Okay. If you had an hour to cook a meal, what would you make?
2: Uh, Probably a stir fry. Do that quite a lot.
0: Like veggie chicken? Yeah, uh,
2: veggie Good. and heav- heavy on like uh, ginger, garlic, also. Awesome. I
0: thought we were going to say coriander. No?
2: Do you <laughs> not like coriander? do <laughs> like coriander. You hate coriander. I like
0: coriander. I'm one of those people.
2: It's quite, I think it's a scientific thing right? That some people mm-hmm. are like predisposed to hate coriander.
0: Mm-hmm. Tastes like soap.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> What's your food guilty pleasure?
2: Golden wonder salt and vinegar crisps.
0: That's classic. You're in a bar at 1am, what drink do you order?
2: An old-fashioned.
0: Nice. Uh, and if you knew it was going to be your last ever meal, what would you have?
2: Toast and butter.
0: Oh, nice. Underrated. Quite a lot of people have been like full on lobster, but you know that's a good one.
2: I think there's not, not many things in life better than uh, toast and, and a like salty butter. Perfect. Right.
0: Thank you very much for talking to me today.
2: No problem at all. Thanks mm-hmm. so much.
0: Thanks again to Martin for his time. I think it was a fascinating insight into his business from exploding beer in his mum's airing cupboards to driving a tank down Soho. I think they've done a lot, a lot of very interesting things and it was great to speak to him and find out more from one of the horses' mouths. You can download Scran wherever you listen to your podcasts, but for exclusive, interactive, immersive content, download the Entail app for iOS and Android. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review Scran and help other listeners discover us too. This is a Laudable production for The Scotsman. You can find out more about Laudable and its other local podcasts by following on Twitter, where we are at Laudable Pods, and Instagram by searching Laudable underscore podcasts.